Magovanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I want to go back to a subject that I kind of touched on in a way in an earlier video on fairy stories. And in the earlier video, I talked about subcreation, which is a major theme for Tolkien, uh, both in that essay and in even the Silmarillion, which I've also done a video on the Silmarillion as using that theme. I'll link to that below. Um, but in this video, I want to talk about a different thing that he talks about in his in his lecture on fairy stories, which is the idea of the eucatastrophe. And if you're blinking your eyes at the screen, don't worry. That's because he made up the word. And if you haven't read on fairy stories, you've probably never encountered it. Uh, basically, the idea of the eucatastrophe is that it's the opposite of a normal catastrophe. The way we think of catastrophe, of course, is suddenly there's this really horrible bad thing that happens and it just kind of upends everything in a bad way. The U catastrophe, he just tacks on the Greek root word for good, EU, and throws that on there to mean it's a sudden reversal of fortune for the better, essentially. So that's essentially what U catastrophe is. So let's go ahead and talk about his thoughts on that idea and how it relates to his own works. So in his lecture or essay as published on fairy stories, which can be found here, uh, he's got a short little section on, on what he calls a catastrophe. And his basic point is that if drama is primarily aimed at tragedy, which he, his argument is that tragedy is the highest form of drama, and that's kind of its, its most it, it best fit function, basically. He says the fairy story or the fantasy is best used to have a happy ending. And in particular, his idea is that it ought to be, at its very highest level, a happy ending that kind of comes out of nowhere and gives you this you catastrophe, which is a very sudden turn of events that is completely unexpected, but that saves, you know, saves the story from being an absolute ruin in terms of, you know, everything going wrong. So, I mean, you kind of have a, in his own work, you kind of have the obvious parallel of, you know, when Frodo gets to Mount Doom, it looks like he's going to keep the ring for himself and then all is lost. And then Gollum comes out of nowhere, <laughs> returns, tries to steal the ring, and then throws himself in by accident. And that actually solves the problem. You know, in that sense, it's a you catastrophe because there's no reason to think Gollum wouldn't I mean you kind of expect Gollum is going to try to come get the get the ring again because he can't really help himself but you don't expect him to take it and then you know get so happy with it that he falls off the edge I guess I probably should have warned you if you've only seen the movie spoilers that's not how <laughs> that's not how the ring gets thrown over the edge of the crack of doom it's it's rather different in the book um if you haven't figured that out by now and too late. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of the idea behind Tolkien's um, coining of this word, eucatastrophe, is that fairy stories and fantasy, they're best at pointing to this idea of a eucatastrophe, you know, that, that you can get a happy ending despite everything seeming to be against the happy ending leading up to that point. And so you've got, um, he also points out, of course, that 
the U catastrophe as a literary or storytelling device doesn't deny the fact that there are bad things that happen and, you know, even catastrophic things that happen. It's more the idea that it's pointing toward the fact that evil doesn't win in the end. It's, it's the idea of the final defeat is the final defeat of sadness, evil, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to categorize that. And of course, this goes back again, like so many other things in Tolkien's writings to his Catholic faith. Of course, he's a devout Christian and therefore believes in the end, God wins, the, the devil loses, and therefore happiness reigns as opposed to never-ending sorrow and, you know, all the things that would come if the devil finally won out. So he's pointing the, the, to that idea with this concept of a EU catastrophe, and that's, it's a really short section in the, in, in the essay on fairy stories, but it's, it's kind of packed with a lot of interesting thoughts and nuggets of, you know, kind of his insights into the idea. And so it's, that, that's kind of the germ of where I want to go. So let's talk about kind of a little more in detail of how he thinks of this and then maybe some examples from his works and some other works of fiction that are out there as well. So one of the points that Tolkien makes about what he calls catastrophe is that it is not what a lot of critics of the fantasy style genre would call escapism. So he actually spends a good bit of the of the lecture on fairy stories on this topic. He talks about how a lot of people criticize fairy stories and fantasy as escapism, and he's basically saying that's not really true. Uh, he also makes the point at, at an earlier stage in the essay, even if it was escapism, can you really blame a man who feels like he's imprisoned for wanting to escape? Basically, he's making the point that it, it kind of all ties together that fantasy kind of points us to a higher truth that we're kind of missing in our day-to-day -day life. And so we're not getting that in our day-to-day -day life. So it makes sense that we got to find it somewhere. So in that sense, even if it is escapism, what's wrong with that? Uh, but the broader point is he's saying that the you catastrophe in a story is not escapism. He says in, in its own setting, it is properly speaking, a miraculous providential type of event. And so, of course, the the classic example of this in his own work is Gollum taking the ring. I mean, he explains in some of his letters that if Frodo, Frodo never could have actually thrown the ring in. The ring was too powerful of an object with too much of a hold on him or too much of a hold on pretty much anybody who could have made it that far for him to actually throw it in. And so it was basically Providence stepping in at that point that caused Gollum to actually retake the ring and then kind of fall over on his own. So the whole idea there is that within the fantasy world setting of the Lord of the Rings, Gollum doing what he did is not just a happenstance. It's not just, oh, we get a happy ending because it's if you really take everything into account, it's a providential, you know, stepping into the situation to solve the problem. Similarly with the Eagles, of course, the Eagles, and I've done a video on this before. I'll, I guess I'll link to that in the description below too. The Eagles are a providential type of thing. I mean, they're, they're almost literally deus ex machina in the sense that 
they are servants of Manwe, the, the chief of the Valar. And so they kind of do his bidding. They don't they don't answer to anybody on in Middle Earth per se, but they do answer to Manwe. And so they do tend to show up kind of at the you know the last minute where everything looks dire. And so at the battle before the Black Gate, where Aragorn and his forces look like they're just completely surrounded, about to be slaughtered, uh, Pippin right before he kind of blacks out after being smothered by a troll. Uh, sees the e or hears somebody saying that the eagles are coming and similarly in the hobbit of course the bilbo observes that there's the battle is not going very well at the battle of the five armies before it was actually the battle of the five armies and then the eagles are coming and he says the eagles are coming he promptly gets knocked in knocked out by getting hit in the head but the point is they kind of show up at the last minute and save the day it's it's that same kind of providential stepping into the story at a, a the right moment to make the right thing happen even though everything looks really bad and that's Tolkien's point the U catastrophe is basically it's something that's unexpected but that it's you know it's it's not just a pure luck event because i mean when you start dealing with pure luck at that level of significance it almost begs the question of, well, wasn't it, was it really just luck at all? So, I mean, that, and I think that there's some value to that, you know, whether or not you buy into a theistic worldview where there's, you know, a providential God that can actually step into the situation, you do have to kind of wonder sometimes in movies and stories where things just happen by dumb luck and everything turns out well just because of that. So I think Tolkien is right, at least in the literary sense, that from a storytelling perspective, it makes much more sense for a catastrophe to be a providential event rather than merely a lucky escapism. So that's kind of, that kind of fleshes out some of what he thinks about the catastrophe. Now let's take a look at some examples from both his stories and some other stories and some counterexamples as well that I'd like to talk about. So incidentally, some of the examples I'm going to talk about are fairly recent, so I'll give spoiler warnings in the next section as I get to them. So of course I've already mentioned some of the examples from Tolkien's own stories that fit this catastrophe type of uh, event. The uh, Lord of the Rings, of course, you have Gollum taking the ring and then falling over the edge into the, into the fire of Mount Doom. You've got the eagles showing up at the end of The Hobbit and at the Black Gate, the Battle of the Black Gate and the Lord of the Rings. Um, but you can also see some of this, some similar aspects to this in uh, the Silmarillion and some of the other things that he wrote as well. So in the story of Baron and Luthien, this really isn't a providential stepping in, but it thematically kind of works. Uh, in the story of Baron and Luthien, which if you haven't read, spoilers, I'm about to spoil some of the story, uh, Baron's entire quest is to retrieve a Silmaril from Morgoth so that he can win the hand of Arwen, who is the daughter of Thingol, the king of the elves of Doriath. And so he, he ends up retrieving one of the Silmarils with the help of Luthien, and at that point he ends up, of course, also essentially getting most of Morgoth's army on his tail because... Of course, when Morgoth realizes what happens, he isn't really happy about it, and he also has 
uh, Morgoth at this point had um, bred the greatest of all werewolves that would ever live, basically because one of Baron's companions is a dog named Huon that is prophesied to basically not be defeatable except by the greatest wolf that ever lived. So Morgoth did this basically intentionally on the hoping that he would be able to kill this dog. So he bred it, and as Baron is escaping, the, the wolf is chasing him, and at some point they end up meeting, you know, close enough, and Baron holds the Silmaril up trying to kind of ward off the wolf because he has no other weapon, and the Silmaril is a holy object that burns basically the flesh of anything evil. So he's basically holding it up kind of like Frodo does with uh, the file of Galadriel and uh, with Shelob. It's the same idea. The wolf, of course, just takes his hand off. It literally just bites his hand and swallows the Silmaril. Now it does burn him, and then he just kind of goes crazy. But <clears throat> Baron gets taken back to Doriath, and he sees the king, who up to this point, of course, disdained him, just hated him. That's why he set him to find the Silmaril, because he's like, he'll never manage that. He'll just die in the attempt, and I won't have to worry about this guy. Uh, and then he, still in that same kind of mood, says... So where's my Silmaril, Baron? And Baron's, he's, because <laughs> the way it was, the importance is, the way it was worded originally was, he said, I'll return with a Silmaril in my hand. And so he says, I don't see a Silmaril in your hand. And he says, well, it's in my other hand. <laughs> and he, you know, basically referring to the hand that the wolf swallowed. And that kind of melts the king's heart and everything kind of turns out okay. It's like he realizes, oh my gosh, this guy just lost his hand because I did this. And, it's not, again, it's not really providential, but it is, it's kind of that turn to the story that, you know, at, at the very end that makes it kind of joyful or at least bittersweet as opposed to just bad. And that's one of the key aspects, too, that I should have mentioned in the previous section of the video. The whole point of the U catastrophe from Tolkien's point of view is to get a glimpse of that really pure joy that, in his view at least, comes from you know, the, the kind of providential way that things are going to end in our own world. It's kind of a, a pre preview of what it's going to be like when everything is made right, essentially. But it's never the end of the story because from his own point of view, you know, fairy stories never really end. And that you get a hint of that in relation to Baron's story, in fact, in The Lord of the Rings, where Sam points out to Frodo... We're still in the same story with Baron and Luthien because that Silmaril that Baron got ended up being handed down to Arendil, who became a star, whose light ended up in the file of Galadriel, and here we are. We are still in the same story. So, I mean, even though these things happen at kind of climactic moments, Tolkien is basically saying these are never the end of the story because there is no end to story in Fairyland. But anyway, that's a different topic. Uh... But anyway, that's another example from Tolkien's works. Now, it, the the other interesting thing is you get some of these events that are, as I was mentioning in the previous part of the video, you get weird situations where things happen by dumb luck, and it doesn't it doesn't feel right. So, an example of this, and again, this is where I'm going to get into some spoilers. If you've seen the movie Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, uh. It's basically a movie about them uh, being on this 
colony spaceship. They're going to a new planet to colonize it. And Chris Pratt is an engineer who gets woken up early, 90 years early, because of uh, going through a, a, not a meteor storm, a, an asteroid belt or something similar. And the ship gets damaged. He gets woken up early. And anyway, he ends up waking up Jennifer Lawrence's character intentionally because he's just going crazy from being alone, almost commits suicide over it. And over the course of the story, you start to realize there's something more wrong with the ship than just his thing, you know, waking him up early. And eventually, it all kind of comes to a head. One other person ends up waking up who can actually get them into some areas of the ship where they need to go to actually diagnose the problem, figure out what's wrong. And just a lot of events happen, basically, that by the end, everything works out okay. But it only works out okay because multiple things in a long string of events also kind of worked out just right. And that's why they were able to solve the problem in the end. If he had never woken up anybody else, if the other person hadn't woken up just randomly, you know, just a long string of lucky chances, basically. And again, it begs that question, is that really just luck? Uh, but in the in the scope of the movie itself, there is no hint of any kind of providential actor in any of it. I mean, you very much get the idea that it's just a secular worldview behind the movie, and so at the end, it kind of rings a little hollow because you're just thinking to yourself, if you start to think about it, I mean, if you enjoy it just on the level of movie, it's perfectly enjoyable. I'm not criticizing that. But if you start to think about it and you really, you know, that's, how unlikely is that? You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's it's so incredibly unlikely that there's no way it should have happened other than somebody was looking out for those people. So there's that's kind of like the the counterexample to the U catastrophe as Tolkien imagines it being used properly, and I think he's right because I mean when I when I watched that movie it was a very enjoyable movie I recommend it actually but at the end as I thought about it and reflected back on the series of events it was like you know in in this in the world of the movie, the world the movie creates, there doesn't really seem to be any reference to God or any kind of providential actor that could step in and make these things happen. And so the whole course of events just seems too miraculous to actually happen. Anyway, that's that's a counterexample. A good example, I think, from a story that uh, Tolkien didn't have anything to do with in recent times and this is just the one that comes to mind, I'm not going for anything specific, but um, I, I just thought of it because it stood out to me at the time that I saw it. Uh, the recent Disney movie, The Princess and the Frog, has kind of a eucatastrophic, how would you say that, ending in that uh, it, part, of the, part of the story is there's this little lightning bug who keeps referring to an Evangeline and they find out that he's talking about a star that's up in the heavens as if it's his girlfriend. And of course, they all kind of think, what's, you know, he's either crazy or he lost somebody and he's just kind of speaking as if that's her. Um, at the end of the story, he ends up getting squashed by the bad guy and dies. But the interesting thing about it is, close to the end of the movie, they basically see another star up there next to Evangeline 
and that's that's the lightning bug character and it's like oh he was right <laughs> there probably was an evangeline up there you know they had this funeral service for him and like his the the light from his his little rear bulb goes up to the star and sits right next to it and there he is and it's you know it's it's not it's not an event that changes the events of the story, but it is clearly more or less a providential type. You know, it's an afterlife type issue where, you know, you realize it's not just his imagination. There really is something to this and there's, you know, they're happy together in the afterlife or something like that. So I think that was a good example. It's, it's a different style of using that kind of event, but I think it was a good example of how it can work. There are, of course, lots of other examples, some better, some worse, some more poignant than others, but those are just some examples from recent-ish movies that I think uh, would at least be, a, my audience would be aware of. So I uh, just wanted to bring those up as kind of examples to highlight kind of the issues that Tolkien brings up. So that'll do it for now. So, hope you enjoyed that video on the U-catastrophe. It's one of the words that Tolkien coined himself, made up by himself. Uh, what are your favorite examples of U-catastrophe? Or even what, what are some other examples that you can think of for counterexamples? You know, ways that the U-catastrophe kind of got used badly. Uh, I'd like to hear about what you think about that in the comments. Uh, please also like the video if you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about Tolkien and the worlds he created and his other writings, then subscribe to the channel, and you can also follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. Until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.